uh, fundamentally it's pointing to the belief that we believe we're all flawed mm. and that we all need to be trained up in a way that um, points us, orients us towards the good. Welcome to Classical Etc. You're in the studio with Memoria Press. Hello, and welcome to Classical Etc. My name is Jessica Gardner, and I'm here with the usual guests, Martin, Tanya, and Paul. How are we doing, everybody? Page 790. I'm on page 790. Okay, and what was last week's count? 709, maybe? I think that's right. What is the count? Of? War and Peace. War and I knew peace. she was going to oh, ask. I just thought peace. I'd get it over with. Where? So what, you were like a, 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 a one-tenth of a way through now? <laughs> <laughs> no, no that's, that's, I'm more than halfway. Yeah, it's so, it's uh, 1,200 pages. That gets you to eight, 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 eight out of 12, which uh, I should be able to do my math better. Oh. Four, six, two-thirds. Two-thirds of the way through. We did just talk about fast wow, math Wow, that facts. took forever. <laughs> oh, let's not do math again. No. <laughs> no. And for anyone just joining us, we usually start our episodes with sharing what we're reading. So here we are. I've Tanya, got still over on War with. and Peace. We're on, still on War and Peace. I'm reading Cheryl Swope's essays also oh. um, that we're going to publish in, in a book. And... Okay. I had to read Mr. Popper's Penguins <laughs> for novel thoughts. Oh. So I've been, you know, reading a little a, a little more, but I really am at home, only War and Peace. Yeah. Martin? Well, we are looking at uh, candidates for the Parnassus Prize uh, in literature for from Memorial College that we give out every year to um, a yes. book that you know, best furthers the classical liberal arts tradition. And so <clears throat> I'm reading several, but the one I'm spending the most time with right now, partly because it's the biggest book, there's, there's books that are this big, and there's books that are this big. And, and the, the book, uh, uh, Virtue Politics, uh, Statecraft hmm. and Soulcraft in the Renaissance by James Hankins is a fascinating book. Um, and and it, cause, because it's about, uh, you know, we, when we think of... Um, the idea of politics in the Middle Ages and political science, as we would call it, political philosophy is probably what they would have called it. Um, we think of Machiavelli, you know, and this very sort of um, uh, strategic, tactical. <laughs> Who does kind think of, of Machiavelli, Martin? Yeah. I, I was Tony more does than it, that. Virtually yes. everybody else does. Yes, I would, and, I would um, support that statement. <laughs> and uh, we, you know, it's this sort of selfish enterprise by. Uh, the the means by which a a politician can take control. I mean that mm. that's really what okay. you know Machiavelli is sort of uh, characterized as. But in fact, he points out in this book, there's a very Christian consciousness about uh, the way politics should be um, done in the Middle Ages, and it was the idea that it's not the structure of government. You know, it's not that necessarily a a republic or a democracy is better than an aristocracy. You can you can have a corrupt democracy just like you can have a corrupt aristocracy. It's not necessarily the form of government; it's the virtue of the leader. And so, character education was hugely important in the Middle Ages, um, because you know a good uh, a good king. If a king is really good, you have a good government. Uh, if you have a democracy that's that's run by a bunch of demagogues, then you have a, a bad government. It's not necessarily the the kind of government it it. So he's he's kind of just taking that thesis and working it several different ways, and it's just fascinating. Hmm. 
Is it really academic? Well, it's an academic book. I mean, there's lots of quotations. But is it accessible to somebody like me? It's written very clearly, Mm. which is unusual in a lot of scholarly books, but... Um, there are, you know, that's, that's the kind of scholars I like is, is in, you, you, you learn to kind of identify them over time is these scholars who can say stuff that's really interesting, but they can write sort of almost journalistically. And he does. It's accessible. Yeah, James Hankins does. Yeah. Hmm. Paul? Uh, absolutely nothing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, now, now to, I mean, that's the way I feel about how much I've read, but, um, I am I am reading and teaching on the nature of the gods right now, Cicero. You are you're doing cr- class prep. You're yeah. doing a lot of class. Yeah, prep. Yeah, I am doing a lot of class prep. Um, well, this and, is where you had. That's where you get a lot of your good reading done, really, because those are books that you you have on your list to read. Yeah, but you're not going to read them unless right. you have to teach them. And right, the and and so I am, I am reading. It just doesn't feel like it's something that I'm reading for me. Um, Personal enrichment, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but. I actually the the section that I we just finished this week uh, with the students was I love it because he goes on and on and on. I mean, this is pages and pages and pages about the wonders of the natural world. Who is this? Aristotle, Cicero. Oh, Cicero's on the nature of the gods. But this is this is the Stoic uh, speaker. So it's in sort of a dialogue form, and it's the Stoic speaker who's trying to make the case that the gods do order the universe because the Epicureans say you know what? The gods are completely inactive. They're completely detached from, from our reality. And the Stoics are like, no, 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 they're very much involved in our lives. And we can see that in the natural world. And I just, I just love how he just goes on and on and on about the constellations, the human body, the, mm-hmm. the, the interactions of animals and plants in the natural mm-hmm. world. And, and just, just makes us sit in awe of our, of the world in which we live. It is an amazing thing. Those early writings before, you know, we had science as we know it mm-hmm. today and they were so curious and so appreciative of nature in a way that we've kind of lost because we've dissected it all. Mm-hmm. So it really is. I always find it fascinated, yeah, fascinating I, that they well, have this is spent thing so we much use, time. This is like the analogy with politics in science now. Um, science gives us a power over nature and we exploit that power in modern science where as the, yes. where as the ancient uh, philosophers and, and, and uh, natural philosophers, um, they were in be- they wanted to know about nature. Mm. They didn't want to necessarily mm. exploit it for their own benefit. And, and that's the biggest difference I think, because mm-hmm. we really do that, you know, all these, you know, science has become a means to our practical ends right. rather than an end in itself that we can just stand in awe of. Mm-hmm. And and it, it just comments about like how much we, we, as ancients, that they would sit there and look at the heavens that we just don't right. do, right? We're not looking up anymore. Mm-hmm. We're just looking, we're looking down. And, you know, I just, I mean, I, I'm sure the students were sick of it by the end of the week, but I kept saying like, <laughs> Sit in wonder, sit in awe of this. And I know something like, because there's times where he's explaining something, you're like, that's scientifically actually absolutely incorrect. <laughs> but I said, you can, you can take what he's saying and apply that with uh, the modern scientific knowledge we have. And it's still awe inspiring if you actually sit there and look at it as if it's the first time you're looking at it. Mm-hmm. We just get so used to it. 
You're just trying to convince them, aren't you? Trying to enlarge their little minds. Oh, yes. Yes. I mean, but there's just fascinating stuff in there. Apparently, there's like this crab and mollusk that have this symbiotic relationship that when the when fish uh, swim through the mollusk shells, the crab will pinch it so it'll close, and then they can both eat those mm. the, those fish. fish. And I'm just like, if if this is real, now granted, their science was not bad, but not what we have today. I like that's absolutely flooring. I mean, just mind boggling. Is it real? I haven't looked it up. I just, Mm -hmm. you know, but the kids were like, that's amazing (laughs) if it's true. And I'm like, yeah, if it's true, it is. But I mean, there's so much, so many things in in the world that, that are like that, that doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be that particular thing. But yeah, I mean, even if you just look at the relationship between man and dog, right? Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. we just get so used to it. But when you sit there and look at it, you're like, wow, this is really, really fascinating. Yeah. Hmm. So. And that's through your metaphysics class? Yeah, yeah, okay. philosophy at, at Highlands. He renamed it Intro to Philosophy, oh, but I can't no, remember. No, I renamed it Intro to Philosophy, and then Jessica Phillips said it should be Classical Philosophy, and I oh. said, oh, that's fine, we can call it Classical Philosophy, so okay. now it's Classical Philosophy. Okay, well, hey, I'm, we know. I still call it Metaphysics, too. Yeah, well, okay. and that's probably appropriate, because the um, the, the t- one of the texts we use, Copelston, he makes the point, and Aristotle, he said, if you really follow Aristotle's Metaphysics, it... it could be properly termed theology. Mm-hmm. And that's where the class ends, really, is in God. Right. And so um, it's it's a, just a wonderful, wonderful well, you, course. You're going to have to get there then. We, we, it would be awful if you got behind on your lesson plans and didn't get to God. <laughs> <laughs> We've gotten there. We've gotten there. That was like uh, Dave and I one time went to a, um, an Easter cantata at a church, just a <laughs> church that we don't attend. And... It ended at the cross, and when it was over, we were talking to the music minister, and I said, I've never seen an Easter cantata that ended without the resurrection, and he said, well, we ran out of time. (laughs) (laughs) I've never. That's terrible. (laughs) (laughs) So they just quit. (laughs) I guess guess the minister just said, you can't go over this (laughs) amount of time. And they couldn't. I, yeah, there was not skip something, no but not the resurrection. This is Easter. It was Easter night. Jesus was just moving a little slow. <laughs> Hopefully, they got him up the next year. <laughs> That's rich. What are you reading, Jessica? I want to make you all proud and say that I started the Lincoln Highway. Oh. <gasps> Oh, yeah. What do you and think? Like, yeah. It's good yeah. so far. It's How really far good. are you in it's 709 pages? I don't, my page count is, yeah, it's shamefully low. But <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. That's it's a, good, a book that's to That's a be. good story, I think, mm-hmm. to read slowly. Yeah. It, yes. Yeah. So well, good for you. It. It's good. Um, so I'll be excited 19, to hear. 50, 50, 54, 54 I think. Nebraska. Yes. Yeah. We haven't made it anywhere else yet. I'm still in yeah. Nebraska. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. It's good. Well, today we are discussing something that's woven into everything we do here at the press, whether it's our practical planning or the larger vision for the things that we publish. And that is formation, education as formation. We're going to talk about what it is and how it affects our approach to curriculum and our materials. And Paul, I want to start with you. Would you, it sounds like a silly question to ask, but would you just define what we mean when we say education as formation? Because I think a lot of different approaches can say they're formative, Mm -hmm. but what do we mean when we say education as formation? How? 
Yeah. I mean, I think the uh, fundamentally it's pointing to the belief that we believe we're all flawed mm. and that we all need to be trained up in a way that um, points us, orients us towards the good. Um, we, we don't believe that if we just set a child out in the woods by himself, that he's going to turn into a great human being, right? He's not just a blank slate that's perfect. And if we keep the human influence away from him, he's going to remain perfect. We actually have to form their, their affections, their emotions, their, their intellect, um, uh, you know, and, and orient their spirit where God can work on it. Right. I mean, it's if, and, and sometimes you, you look at educational approaches and you're just like, wow, they, they really do just believe that if they get out of the way, the student's going to f- find flourish. all the yeah. truth and flourish as they ought to. Interesting. Okay. And so can you show, can you show an example or just give a big picture of how that affects what we do practically? Like what difference yeah. does it make? Yeah. So um, for example, even with, with forming the affections, that's, that's the one that I, I like to look mm-hmm. at because every, today it's sort of like, well, whatever people gravitate towards is fine. Mm-hmm. But in mm-hmm. kindergarten through second grade, I mean, we're, we've got our art cards and our, our mm-hmm. music that we're, we want them introduced to the best art that's out there, the best music that's out there because in, in being exposed to it and, and sitting in it for years, they will, they will, grow into an appreciation for it. And the same thing with literature. We, you know, if I, I would not be able to read War and Peace if I read British murder mysteries all the time. <laughs> or, well, maybe I would with British murder mysteries, but not American murder mysteries. Um, I, we have to also elevate their reading. Their, you know, that's why we read the King James Bible and why we read Shakespeare is to, to elevate them and let them see that that's why we memorize 70 stanzas of Horatius at the bridge. Mm. It, it all will help them to be able to go further mm-hmm. and do more. And that's part of the broader vision. Yes. It's all part of, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I just, I remember, and th- I mean, this is this is just a fundamental attitude that you can have anywhere, homeschool, school, whatever it is. But you know, I I just remember, and I think I've told the story on the podcast before. I just how appalled I was that like every game that came into my house as a child, when I found this out, that every game my mother vetted to see whether it had an educational purpose, what you know, how it was going to form us, you know, that sort of thing, and I was like. That feels like a little much, but the reality <laughs> is it, it, I mean, anything that, that we become exposed to. And if it, be, if it's something that really strikes us and we take a fancy to it, it starts to form the way we think, the way we act, the, yeah. who we are. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to know, what would you say to someone who might have high schoolers or older students and they might be thinking, oh, is it too late? Oh, what would you say? It's never too late. And, okay. and, and also, you're, I mean, the education's a big part of this, mm. but family is also a big part of it. And so the people that would ask that question mm. and that would be worried about that are people who are raising their children in the best mm-hmm. way that they know how. So mm-hmm. they may be late to classical education, but 
they've still done a lot of things right, I guarantee. Mm. Well, Martin, are you right? Are you writing your next article for the catalog or something? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I forgot I'm on the show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I, I, think, I think, what, what do I, well, I, you know, I had, I had, um, I just put a little message out on social media yesterday, just, just saying, you know, because somebody had said something about teaching virtues and we're going to have like this particular month, we're going to, we're going to celebrate mm. this virtue. And like we're a virtue talk of about the month. That virtue. Yeah. And I said, you know, and we're going to analyze it, you know, like, and I, and I said, you know, if you're really trying to teach character education, you, you don't need to be analyzing the virtue in some abstract way. You don't need to be uh, trying to appeal to their emotions, which is a lot of what we do in there. But we, you, you do this in the, in the common course of teaching history and literature. You have people who are examples, exemplars of certain kinds of virtues. And, you don't even really have to plan that. All you have to do is kind of read the old history. Like, and we use, we use the famous men books. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what they do. They have, they, they show you these people. They, <coughs> they, the stories are, are written to elicit uh, <coughs> admiration for the good things that they do. And, um, and a sort of a revulsion for the bad things that they do. That's modeling. Uh, when we talk about modeling, I, I think character education is the best example. It's not the only one, but that's the way you teach things. Is you ha is you have a model in front. Of, that, that's you know, uh, even if you want to be an innovator later on, you know, Picasso was supposed to have been one of the great innovators. You know, he came up with several uh, different kinds of modern art uh, in the in the twentieth century, but the, he even to be able to do that, he had to go into the Louvre and copy the masters. For many years, um, they were those were those were uh, that was formation. I'm you know. glad you've got a new appreciation for Picasso. You used to just run well, him down think, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think there's a lot of mischief in modern art, mm. but um, you know, I, I look at something like uh, Don Quixote, which is just a black and white sketch, mm. and it's just brilliant. It's it's utterly Sweet. brilliant. Picasso's Don really, Quixote. Oh, Picasso has oh, a Don Quixote sketch. Oh yes. Oh, oh I haven't seen oh, that. The, I was. <laughs> oh, it's one of the. It's just a few lines, and you know exactly who it is. Really? Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. Oh, we need and to so, look that up. <laughs> no, really. I I I just don't have a place on my wall for it. Otherwise, I'd put a Picasso on my wall. Uh, well, well, and I think it, because we're we're diverging onto onto this um, side road, I would like to say <laughs> that. You know, in in the same way, I, I brought up to you my analogy about jazz mm -hmm. the other day, mm -hmm. which uh, Martin's going to write an article. He's going to steal my idea and write an article. Well, so that has that has happened more than once. It, it has. He assumes it has. he owns the idea. Um, I mean, like, he doesn't have a copyright on you it. You better write fast, Paul. That's <laughs> no, fine. I have time to write. Martin can write it. But you know, like jazz breaks the rules, right? Mm -hmm. Of yes. what music is, and and the at least what traditional music was at the time and and picasso does the same thing he breaks them but he knows what rules he's breaking and for what effect and i think maybe i'll put some words into martin's mouth at this point since he he likes to take mine and put them in his own mouth is that the issue like the mischief martin's referring to in modern art is that they end up 
people end up following Picasso's rule breaking without realizing what rules are breaking and to what effect. You can't break a rule unless you know it. If you know, jazz musicians are famous for um what's the word? Uh not improvising. Improvising for improvising. Okay. The reason they can improvise is because they know music so well. Jazz musicians know music better than any other kinds of musicians, except for maybe classical musicians. I mean, they they know written music. They know, and it that's what enables them because they know their scales. They know that they know, mm-hmm. and once you know that, then you can improvise uh, really well. The people who just you know want to start plunking on something, those people are never the good uh, um, uh, improvisers in music. Uh, they they they're not very good improvisers. But the people who really know it. They really know the rules, and, and once you and know how the to rules, break them in you, a way, that's right. they're not really breaking them. They're just right. they're just kind of um, uh, coming up, making with, them their own. Well, they're, they're doing they're doing their, they're doing music just impromptu. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the ideal yeah. kind of jazz session. Is mm-hmm. nothing is is set before they they and yeah. they're just improvising and they're going back and forth between instruments and all this kind of stuff. They do that because they know music so well. It's another they know the forms. And yeah, so they can and, do that. and my analogy, because I'm going to put this out here, and then when Martin writes the article, <laughs> people everybody will know, will know it was <laughs> but yours. My analogy was that actually, and what we're trying to do in education mm-hmm. is we're not trying to 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 necessarily just form uh, a a piano player who is going to just play what's on the sheet, mm-hmm. right? We're trying to train them to such a degree that they really are liberal people. They're they're, they're, free, they're free people mm-hmm. that can can make decisions that where they know it fits, even though it may not be on the sheet, mm-hmm. right? Right. Um, where they can think through the principles of something and say, okay, with that principle, I apply it this way, and not just well, that's what the rule says, so I have to do it. And I and so that was what I was uh, I I was sitting there at a jazz concert and I started thinking about this and thought I think that that's why business people now want to hire classically educated people. They don't Mm -hmm. care that they don't have the technical skills Mm because they can train them in that, but Mm -hmm. they know that they're able to think outside a box. Yeah, yeah. And 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 you we were also talking about like jazz standards. So if you talk to jazz musicians, there are these certain songs that they all know because they're so great. And they have those songs memorized from front to back. Mm-hmm. And and so it's not like, you know, a lot of people today would consider that, you know, just mindless. It's not mindless at all. Mm-hmm. It's preparing you to build on that, to do other things on on the basis of that. And so I, I think this whole idea right now that, we, you know, we we think that what, what you know, a lot of modern education is they want you to start improvising from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Mm. They don't want to teach you the standards. You know, we're, we're classical education teaches the standards, mm-hmm. and then we can go off and do whatever they need. To well, do that's, that's child-centered education. Yeah, that child-centered mm-hmm. education is like which is really no, where you started. Mm-hmm. Was talking you can't about just start it. plunking on the piano. Mm-hmm. Well, you can, but it's going to take a lot longer to learn anything mm-hmm. good, right? You learn your scales, mm-hmm. and 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 so I think. Uh, I think jazz music is a great right. uh, example. And, and you go you go through the exercises, right? And that, that's what the process of formation is, right? That that you it formation is not fun, right? You, you, it is not the fun part. It's not the fun part. Mm-hmm. And what really is the fun part is when you've gone through all of that training where you've done your math facts to the point where you're like, I don't never want to see these ever again. But you have this facility with them mm-hmm. that then you can forget about them. 
mm-hmm. right? Um, because you know you have them whenever you need them. And that's, that's I think, when we talk about formation, I mean, you can talk about formation also in a, in a character sense, right? But what, what does Which that mean? Which Martin was talking about with famous men. Yeah. And we, but that requires not just reading. That requires conversation also we don't just hand students books to read we converse with them about um the failures and the successes and why and really try to help them think more deeply than they would be prone to do with if they just read without the conversation so the conversation is very important too i was reading some of some things that cheryl wrote cheryl lowe um this morning, and I mean, she never minced words. There's, um, she was, it was uh, her talking to teachers and, or to a school about her teachers. And she said, she said, I tell my teachers that if their students don't cry when Hector is killed or when Priam begs Achilles for the body of his son, they have failed. <laughs> I was like, whoa. <laughs> they have failed. And you haven't and, properly prepared them for that moment. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I, I think that's a great point about just the idea of formation is it's not just us putting them in these structures and constraining them, mm-hmm. but we want them to internalize those structures, right? Mm-hmm. And we do that in large part through the conversation, mm-hmm. but also culture in the school is huge too. Yes. Right? And, and how and we- And in exp- the home. And in the home, right. But yeah. I mean, your mother had a particular culture she was after. Yes, she did. (laughs) And um, and I'm grateful for it. Actually, I just went back to um, uh, my parents this past weekend and was like, thank you. Thank you for, you know, because some things that happened, I was like, oh, wow. What, like, you you get in this bubble of what you think is normal. And then when you encounter somebody who didn't get that, you're like, oh. I really did get something special, mm-hmm. um, but but it has to be internalized in some way, and by by presenting, it, making it their standard, their norm, but then also conversing about it and saying this is why we do this, that you know, or this is this is why um, you know the the death of Hector is is so important here. Then they can start to internalize those things, right? And that, and then we're built. We're actually helping them learn how to have compassion, how to have empathy with other people, and that's a huge gift too that mm-hmm. an education gives them. Well, and also I think a motivation. Um, I mean, in many ways, we are what we admire, right? And and so if you teach them things that really that they somehow um, affectively connect with Hmm. Um, to have heroes, you know, to say, I want to be like that. It's not just Mm -hmm. that you're working on them through their assignments and they're not even realizing they're getting this, these forms down. It's that you want them to really begin to admire the The right, the right people, the right people, the people in a history story, Mm -hmm. the people in a, in, in, in Homer's book and in Homer and, and uh, and so it's not it's not just an intellectual thing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's multifaceted it's a, it's training. A, yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's a it's and not even just a moral thing. It's really uh, an aesthetic thing almost. I mean, we love the beautiful naturally, and if we can show them that these things are beautiful, 
then they will admire them and in some way want to imitate them. And there's a lot of competition these days for that. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, with the media, Mm -hmm. even from the, you know, since my kids were young, it's, it's, it would be really difficult, I think, to be a, a, parent of young children now and try to keep them away from all of that? Well, it's, it is possible. I mean, we were able mostly to keep our kids away from it. We kept them away from it enough to where now they're raising their kids and it is very limited in their homes. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think probably if they had not had that themselves, they wouldn't be instituting it in their own homes, but Mm -hmm. there's no phones. Mm. Um, there's, you know, we watch, we watch Wallace and Gromit sometimes Ooh. with my grandkids <laughs> over at, at my oldest son's house. That's, a, um, and, uh, but, but there's, there's not, media does not control things. You know, it, you just have to be careful to let things enslave you, not, mm-hmm. not to let things enslave you, but to be, to have it under control. And that's very, and it just requires a very sparse use of it. Mm. Paul. Can you give an example, since you're in the classroom, classical philosophy, can you give an example of a moment in your classroom where you can say, yeah, here's a moment where I can see the formation taking place? Uh, well, we could talk about, um, I, I mean, it, we talked about, I mean, we mentioned intellectual, moral, mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's a whole slew of different things. I, this feels this feels quite petty to me, but it it it's it's a current struggle. I mean, at the beginning of the year, we did a great job in uniforms and saying like, be respectful to other people and how you dress. Hmm. You know, like have have your your button buttoned and your tie actually cinched up, right? Have your shirt tucked in. Don't look like you're you just you know rolled up out of bed. You know, and and. You know, it's stuck for about 90% of my class. <laughs> There's still a couple that, you know, um, we're still struggling God love with. them. But I mean, it's, it's even those small things, right? Of, of it, and, and that's where I want to say, like, we're trying to look at this formation from not just what they're doing intellectually. Mm-hmm. Their intellectual, mm-hmm. it, it will affect them. And, um, and I haven't I haven't gotten to the payoff yet. We talked about reading Cicero's on the nature of the gods, right? When we hit Boethius, the payoff of them taking everything we've learned this year and applying it to themselves is coming. Mm. Because right now it still feels foreign to them. Mm. Um, this is still what the pagans thought. And then when we start dealing with how does providence and free will work and how does God allow mm. bad things happen to good people? And mm. that's where they all start to go, oh my gosh, you know, like all of these tools I have now help me understand that. So I, I don't have some, like a lot of, a lot of examples right there ready for it. I did have a student the last time I taught this class four years ago, she reached out to me about three or four months after the class was over and said, I was with a group of students, not from the school. And the kids were talking about how they don't believe in a God who um, they don't believe in God because they can't see how he can be omnipotent and still allow for free will and still allow bad things happen to good people. And she was like, I have an answer for you, Mm. you know? And and it, because we had struggled through it, because she'd been given all the tools, she she had an answer and was able to share that to them. And I was like, okay, my my work here is done. My job is I done. I was so happy about that. Mm, yeah. Um, and it wasn't just one; it was multiple students who came back mm. and told me that. And and all I, all we're doing is sitting there talking about 
what it means to be, right? right you're right, guiding right. And, them. And we get you're there, guiding. right? It, it feels yeah. like a small thing, right? Where you're just having conversations, but it does, it it really embeds itself into their into their being. Well, and I think another aspect of this is getting outside of yourself. Mm. It's very easy mm. for kids to get very selfish and self-centered mm-hmm. Because no one gives them anything outside themselves that would be interesting. Mm. And there was just another thing in the news about a, uh, it was actually about the mother of a kid who had shot four people in a school. And, and you, you look at the, you look at the lives of all those people when the, when the, the news starts coming out about how they were raised and what their home was like. And it's, they didn't have friends. They didn't have a good relationship with their parents. They didn't have any good relationships from people other than, you know, outside themselves. They were, they were, um, they were self-centered and, and to, to all have like in a classroom when you're studying, so to all be focused, the whole class on one thing, on one person, on one story, on whatever it is, and, and to be discussing it and working on it together, that I think just has a moral benefit that we, we, we can't even really understand, I think, mm-hmm. um, it's just getting outside of ourselves. And so what, a, what you know, model you know, form. What is that? What that's something outside ourselves mm-hmm. that we are in some way trying to conform ourselves to, rather than making everything conform to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's a huge problem. You know, the whole loneliness issue. Mm. Uh, this is this in the next ten years. This is going to be one of the big social issues: is loneliness because people they don't have friends. Nobody's giving them the kind of stuff we're talking about and the good mm-hmm. books that we talked because a book can serve that purpose even. Mm-hmm. Um, a book is in a way a friend in, in that same way, but a lot of kids aren't getting that anymore and they need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that, that the focus outside you is sort of in a, in a like way, not getting to choose what you're going to read. Right. Have it imposed you, upon you. You, 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 <laughs> uh, you are learning. You are learning respect for authority. You're learning mm-hmm. obedience. You're mm-hmm. learning to control yourself and your instincts, right? Of what you want. I mean, uh, those are all good things. Yeah, it's so funny to me. It, it's you, generally in our algebra classes, those middle schoolers in pre-algebra and algebra, when the teacher insists that how they had their paper, mm-hmm. how they show their work, and they they. Their rebellion is not doing it like, and it's so easy. I'm, I'm just thinking, how hard is it to put your name where they want it, to put the page number where they want it? It's not rocket science, but it just is a huge, I can't believe he took off 10 points because, <laughs> because I, put, did, I forgot to put the name of the lesson. Mm-hmm. It's they they do need that they mm-hmm. need that discipline mm-hmm. i mean you don't have to carry it too far but you know it's why we teach manners mm-hmm. in really every single week a different manner in k to 2 and and then review them in 3 to 6 it's why we teach them when they're walking down the sidewalk that they should all walk to one side mm-hmm. so that other people can pass easily and that they should look them in the eyes all of those things is that's not the intellectual part mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it is teaching them to be good people good citizens mm-hmm. so when we talk about formation it's holistic it is yes and i think that's mm-hmm. yeah. yes mm. anything we've left out we've covered yeah. everything <laughs> <laughs> every part of the holistic <laughs> formation well this is a great discussion 
Yeah. Well, join us next week. And how you can prepare to join us is to read the short story by Nathaniel Hawthorne called The Great Stoneface. It's free online. You can just Google The Great Stoneface. I'm getting the title right. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And read it before next week so that you can join in our discussion. We'd love to have you back. We'll see you then. Thank you for joining us today on Classical Etc. by Memoria Press. If you like what you heard, you can follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about Memoria Press, please go to memoriapress.com. This has been Classical Etc. We're so glad you joined us, and we'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Memoria Press Podcast Network, providing a classical Christian perspective on the world of education. To learn more about Memoria Press, visit us at memoriapress.com. To connect with us, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.